Welcome to the Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Straight out of Bedrock, we have the Dino Wrangler CBS. That doesn't pay very well. You get paid in Dino Treats, which is terrible because it tastes bad. We also have the Bowling Ball Reskinner, Rob. It's, it's, a, it's a tough life. For, for the bowling ball. And put a new skin on it. They don't like it. You use a stapler. It's, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad news because their staples made out of stone. Stone staples. That's right. Yabba dabba dabba don't. Right. Hey, alright. Well, welcome to Top Up Podcast. Uh, let's see, today we're doing episode number 93. Alright, book-wise, we're going to be doing uh, Iron Fist Issue 2 from Marvel Comics, uh, The Suicide Squad and the Banana Splits from uh, DC Comics, uh, followed by The Sovereigns from Dynamite, and then, number, oh, yeah, number zero, and then uh, we have Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, Issue 1. Uh, from Marvel Comics. And then, uh, Hal Jordan Green Lantern Corps, number 17. Featuring the, uh, Kyle Reiner on the cover. Fantastic. I don't know why we just did the cover for that one. Because. Because Kyle hasn't, Kyle hasn't been back in black for a very long time, Rob. That's true. Very long time. And Kyle Reiner in his classic costume? Yeah. Movie? Well, do we go with yeah, that? that's what well, I it's would not say. the ion costume, so no. I guess it would have to be classic. Yes. So. C Senor. Back in black. Back in black. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Earlier. That's right. Um, so let's see, uh so we don't have the dog pile today. Um a little bit of news, I guess. Maybe not anything terribly, terribly important, but our buddy Booker T, if you're a fan of the show, then you you've heard Booker T's intro before. He is uh currently running for the mayor of Houston, Texas, which is fantastic. I think, uh, just like Jesse Ventura before him, which I don't know if Jesse did a good job or not because it wasn't our state, so I guess I really know. He, uh, he said a few things that got him in trouble. That's true, he did. Ventura is also like one of those tinfoil believing types, so good guy, but the tinfoil hat's not the best way to go, especially not in public. He said things that I think most people think. I got him in trouble. That's that's true. I, we wish you wish you luck there, Mister Booker T. We think that's fantastic. I think it'll be awesome. Some spinner Rooney's on some, uh, I don't know, legislation in Texas. Yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was enough of that nonsense. Anyway, so if any of you are uh, folks living in the Houston area, uh, listening to us, uh, be sure to give Booker our, your vote because uh, you know he's a good guy. Wrestling persona side, good guy. Um, uh, see some other news. This is actually comic book related. God, kind of. Uh, we heard that issue seven and eight of Avengers is going to be done by Phil Noto. So going to have an artist switch in there. It's hard to say how long Noto was scheduled to do number eight anyway. Uh, but I guess they've made a change art wise, and so he's doing seven and eight. 
and I guess we'll see after that where it goes. Fantastic artist. Hmm. Definitely did me some Phil Noto. He actually did the cover of this uh, Rogue One book. That, uh, and a whole batch of Poe Dameron. So, uh, if you enjoyed Poe Dameron, then uh, you, you should know what this to look for in the Avengers. We've we've talked a little bit about what's going on in the Avengers with with the artists, and it, it, he's not bad, but it'll be really neat to see this group of Avengers with, with Noto on, on it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Not not neither of them are bad artists as far as any of that goes, but Noto is definitely a favorite. Yeah, I, of mine. I prefer Noto. There you go. Obviously, oh, all right, because he's awesome. That's true. I guess there's some Princess Die photos that showed up. That I guess have never been put out in the internet world before. That question one of the sons being the son of the king or the prince or whatever he is. But I mean, she's dead, so you know what? What are you gonna do? You know, slap the boy? It's not his fault. What? What did he do? It's, it's true. It's true. I, I don't know if English royalty should be that big of a deal. No, I'm not at all, really. But, but whatever. I mean, the queen's going to live forever anyway, so it's fine. Right. We don't even have, have to worry about lines no, of suggestion. Not succession. at all. Not lines of suggestion. That's something different. Lines of succession. There you go. Yeah. We do have to learn about lines of suggestion, because that's something those, those are suggestive. They are. That's actually what's going on with those photos, is they are suggesting something. Yes, they are. See, full circle, people. You learn something, too. I don't know what. But something. Apparently some photos of Henry Cavill showed up also, uh, wearing the Christopher Reeves uniform. Apparently there's some pictures taken during the last, the read-through prior to, by, uh, who's the, who directed that? Uh, He's getting all, uh, Zach. Zach, yeah. Snyder. Yeah, not Ephraim. That was my first thing you said, no, no. Zach. He's, uh, that's an actor. I don't know why. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> sort of. Sort of. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, Zach Snyder. I think it's a picture with the cowboy wearing the original Superman uniform from uh, Christopher Reeve's days. And I say fantastic. Uh, it's weird. I don't know why anybody else want to hear about that, but if you want to look it up, I guess get on the internet, folks. Well, I, mean, it's, I, I guess it's kind of cool, but I think it's cool. I I don't know how that would affect indie anything. No, but oh, well, you mean in the world? Yeah, it doesn't. Okay, it's, just a, had, it's a weird thing that somebody dropped on the internet and. So apparently Snyder took the pictures and then at some point decided to put them out. That's how all that stuff winds up on the internet. Rob, people take pictures they probably shouldn't and they get put on the internet. Next thing you know, Supergirl's doing all kinds of things you shouldn't see her do except that it's awesome. Okay. Knowing how to battle G.I. Joe? Um, Sure. No? Yeah, I I guess. I'm saying Melissa Girl is pretty. Yeah. I don't don't think any of those photos have come out yet. Well, they have. Oh. It's been, it's, they've been out for a minute, Rob. Oh. I guess I haven't looked for those photos. It's understandable. It's understandable. Okay. And now I feel like the dirty one. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I, I just thought you were making stuff up. No! Why would I? I don't lie to, I don't lie to these people. Listeners. That's, that's I mean, I tell the whole truth, but that part's definitely true. That's, that's good not to, not to, not I, to lie. I, I make stuff up sometimes. Well, you should stop it then. Oh, okay. It confuses me and I don't know what's going on. Okay, I don't really think... I'm sure there's other news that matters, but I don't... I couldn't tell you what, because I haven't really paid any attention this week. We did have uh, WonderCon happen, so I'm sure cool things happen there, but... Eh. Hmm. I ain't paying any attention to that. I'm more worried about Denver and San Diego happening, so... Yeah, and I don't think we, we talked about it, but I guess Iron Fist 
is out on Netflix now. Oh yeah, um, I think I don't know if we mentioned it or not. But uh, there's a lot of hate on Iron Fist right now, huh. and uh, I'll give you some of it's merited. Some of it, I haven't seen any of it. No, I have. Okay. And like I, I read a batch of the articles about oh failings of Iron Fist, and I'm like, ah. I partially agree on certain things. I mean, none of us were really happy with Danny's hair when he first showed up. And that toss out surfer dude he's got going on. Not necessarily uh, what I would picture for Danny Rand's hair. But it doesn't kill the whole thing. As far as the show, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't bad. I I think one of the main pieces that, that people probably don't remember when they're watching, and most complaints I saw about the fight sequences is that they don't seem as heavily choreographed as Daredevil. Daredevil also had to start off really, 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 really hard. Otherwise, people would pay no mind to it. That's true. So, like, the amount of time spent in that show versus this show are two different things. Well, I mean, they, I guess the big thing for people to, to realize is, like, he, he's not he's not Luke Cage, where he's just super strong all the time, and, you know, he's, he's more on the martial arts side, so he doesn't just come into every fight going, yeah, I'm just going to flick this guy to knock him out, you know, he... He, he wants to be measured, so he doesn't use the iron fist against just, like, regular pantyhose mugger guy, you know? He would just use Kung Fu against that he, guy. He totally should, though, because it would be awesome. Probably, but, like, he wouldn't be very... He, he wouldn't have the, like, the Zen martial arts sure. uh, thing going on right. if he was doing that. Well, yeah, and that's part of it, too, is he's supposed to be balanced, so, like... In the show, there's a lot of stuff where they show him go to extremes from, like, mild to angry, and it's very sharp, mm. like, when it happens. But that's... I mean, in the comic books, like, you went through phases where he wore red, he wore green, he wore white, and all those were connected to, like, his personality attitude-wise with what was going on in the stories. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's not entirely far from the character. The only piece that really, really bugs me about that show is... There's some character flip-flopping at the end, and some of that is pretty questionable. But we will wait till you watch that, Rob, and then I'll try to destroy everything else that everybody believes in. <laughs> ah. Ultimately, not a bad show. And since then, we've seen Mr. Rand, or, uh... God, what's his real name? Shoot. I know this, and I just don't remember it. <sighs> the actor's name? Yes. Shoot. Man... If I wasn't trying to remember it, it would just come out. Anyway, we've seen his hair changed, and we know the Defenders wrapped filming the day they released Iron Fist. So I assume the photos will come out with the sharper hairstyle, or probably from that season. Unless he just normally wears his hair entirely different in life, and uh, the Danny Rand thing was somebody's choice. Which, if that's the case, somebody needs to get talking to. They're like, no, no. Don't use your regular hair, which looks fine. Let's use this top salad server hair. Because that's what makes sense. Somehow. It doesn't. Anyway, that was a giant circle for no reason, I think. I don't remember how we even got there. Uh, well, we were talking about the Iron Fist. Oh, things that have uh, happened. TV yes. Show, yeah. Right, okay. Back on track a little bit. I didn't I didn't realize there was so much hate for it. Now, the internet's full of hate, Rob. That's, anything That's true. Anything like, you Honestly, it's full of hate. It's, it's, Always. Yeah. The internet is a hate machine. You think I would like the internet a lot better, so I'm full of hate most of the time. Maybe it's just too much hate. No, whatever, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there was something else you were going to tell me about that had to do with the Eagle Living Planet. Oh, there, there is. Uh, he does make an appearance in Nova number 5. Ah. Which, 
If you haven't been following Nova, there's been a lot of crazy stuff going on. But basically, Nova has... We, we've got Sam Alexander Nova, and we've got Rich Ryder Nova again. And Rich has brought back something with him that is that is dead from the Cancerverse, or he's dead from the Cancerverse or something. Well, yeah, I, if you've listened to the show before, Chancellor, you've heard us talk randomly about the Cancerverse and Star-Lord escaping, and then it, somehow Thanos escaping, and then Rich Ryder showing up. Well, all three were trapped at the end of the previous Garden of the Galaxy run in the Cancerverse in order to save the rest of the universe. Cancerverse is like a poisonous reality where no one dies, but they're all controlled by, like, fish star things inside of them. Yeah, they got, like, some kind of weird tentacly starfish thing Yes, which is crazy. Anyway, Rich Rider Nova, the original human Earth Nova, is back. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and we've been having scary tentacle things appear randomly. And we, as the reader, know that Rich is connected to them. We don't know how yet, but we knew he was connected. Right. Uh, Five kind of starts summing that up as a piece of this tentacle stuff is left behind, and it tries to reawaken all of the Nova helmets, and ultimately, like, leads to Sam having to fight it, and eventually Rich showing up and going, like, full tentacle arms and, like, pulling it into himself, and Sam being like, what the hell? And him being like, I brought back some craziness from the Cancerverse, I'm sorry. And he's like, you put my family in danger. And Rich is like, I... I know, I'm a, I'm a jerk, I guess. And, like, Sam's, like, choking him out and stuff, and he's like, I just wanted to have some time. You know, I thought I'd have some me time. But I guess that's not going to happen. And Sam was like, oh, I'm sorry, man. And so Rich is like, no, i got to go deal with this cancerverse stuff now. Because it's inside of me, and I have to end it. And Sam's like, well, why don't we have some science guys talk to you about it? And he's like, no, there's no time for science. I don't believe in that. Because if I have to step up and be a hero, I'm going to step up now, instead of waiting. So, later, and he just takes off to the Cancerverse. And we get in there, and basically he sees Ego, the living planet, and it's all tentacles. Like, How's it going, Rich? <laughs> tentacles. It's been a long time, tentacle been, been a long time, Rich. <laughs> tentacles, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Ego. Ego's evidently alive in the Cancerverse. And if Sam can get through, that means Ego can maybe get through, so we'll see. Uh, the only reason that matters, sort of, unless you're reading Nova, is because Ego the Living Planet is going to be Kurt Russell in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, unless we've all been misled. Which is possible, I guess. It's possible. Because most, most likely Kurt Russell is Ego the Living Planet. Take that. <laughs> I guess. If you've been watching closely, you probably already knew that. Well, I mean, it's in the commercials, so... You watch the commercials, even if you don't know what's going on, you're like, it's Kurt Russell. There you go. No? <laughs> he calls her his son. Yes. So, yeah, they definitely said that. They just didn't yeah. know, play the drop that he was Ego. <sighs> of course, who knows? Maybe he's not Ego. No. Maybe he's just called Ego. Pretty sure he's going to be Ego. Why? How? Eh. Yeah, we'll see. Movie will come out. Movies. It'll be good times. All right. Well, that's enough sort of news, I guess. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Thanks for sticking around, I guess. I probably should put that at the end. I'll show you at the end. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, okay, so... Uh, Robbie, you want to tell me a story about the Iron Fist? Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. Yeah. Comic book series, not Netflix TV show. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good idea. Uh, this is going to be written by Ed Bryson. 
with art by Mike Perkins. It's actually kind of interesting. The, the previous series was probably not my cup of tea, but they did a lot of big things in that. And so I'm just going to throw out one big thing that is kind of important to understand going into this one. That is that Kunlun was pretty much destroyed. And Danny was called back to, to step out of the regular world and defend Kunlun and make sure all the immortals got to continue to be immortal. And he looked at the corruption that was there and was basically like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he, so he turned his back on Kunlun. And since then, the city has been destroyed. And we're not seeing a whole lot of the other Kunlun characters show up anywhere else. In theory, they've lost their immortality, so probably a lot of them may have died. As we come into this series, Danny's connection to Shenlong has been waning. And he doesn't seem to be able to actually focus his chi to do things that the Iron Fist can do. So he still is an amazing martial artist, but he can't manipulate his chi like he used to. Because of that, Danny doesn't know where he fits in the world. Danny, without Iron Fist, he doesn't understand. He spent so much of his life as Iron Fist. Danny was more of the... I don't want to say act, because Iron Fist is always just Iron Fist. He's the second chair. Yeah, but Iron Fist is like definitely his main life. Danny Rand was just something he did. Right. And so if he's losing the chi, he's just going to be Danny. And he doesn't know how to deal with that yet. And so a lot of what he's doing is he's traveling around, around the world and kind of just doing like Street Fighter matches in the hopes that it'll rekindle the chi inside of him and he'll be Iron Fist again. In one of these matches, he actually winds up coming across a guy who recognizes something in Danny. Now, as it's revealed in 2, he recognized Danny from the start. What we find out is that there's another island that kind of broke off of Kunlun that's been here on Earth this whole time. And evidently they've uh, went to great lengths to remain anonymous so people don't know where this island is. They pretty much set him up on a Kung Fu tournament to face their seven Grand Masters. And in, in these matches, if he can defeat the Grand Master, he'll be able to absorb their chi and that'll open up his Iron Fist abilities again. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to himself, what we're finding out is that these Grand Masters all want to kind of defeat Danny, so they can prove that they're a better society than the corrupt Kunlun. And if they can defeat him and kill him, they feel like they'll be one step closer to like replacing Kunlun. And maybe they'll get a chance to get a hold of Shinlon's energy. So we kind of join Danny in the tournaments as as it's going. And he winds up actually defeating the first his first challenger, who's like um I think got crazy electric well, like yeah. electric yield powers. They're fighting like on the on the beach in the water. In the water, yeah. Uh each of the masters is a different animal type. Right. And I wanna say that this was the I think it's the eel. I think it was the eel, yeah. Because there's one point where he's definitely drowning him, and there's another point where he uses an attack that is like a shock, like an eel shock. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of you know, half martial arts, half special powers. And we're kind of seeing the division between the characters as, as we go. We're finding out all of the kind of intrigue 
as we go through it, the next one he's really going to have to fight is the Rat of the Twelve Deadly Venoms. Which is a sweet name. Yeah. Um, and he winds up being like a Kung Fu master that nobody uh, nobody's really dealt with in years and years and years because he's like toxic. And so that's kind of where we actually end our uh, our story with Danny is him beginning to fight the the rat. But there's like a there's a lot of different intrigue going on here, and I kind of wonder myself because there's a moment where they're talking about the chi, and they kind of like say the name of their city, and this thing flares up, and it has the the wonky Iron Fist dragon that he has in the show, right, as the symbol. And so I kind of wonder if they're actually bringing in that element of the show. They're going to change his tattoo. So his chi's not coming from just Shenlong. It's coming from this island now. And he's going to have the wonky big wing huh. dragon tattoo. Nice thing is, Danny seems right. He's got kind of a more carefree attitude, although he does have moments where he's a little bit more serious than maybe he should be. The artwork for the story, I wouldn't say was like the best ever, but for what they're doing with the Kung Fu and the story, it works really well. It feels like you're watching an action scene while you're reading the story. And they do a good job with this intrigue. And so I'm kind of interested to see where they go with, with each of these different masters and what the deal is going to be. Yeah, overall, like at this moment, I already feel the story is a lot stronger and a lot more like Iron Fist than the previous one. So if you're an Iron Fist fan, give this one a shot because it feels a lot more like the Iron Fist that we know. And it, and it feels very... It feels like a good Kung Fu comic, which I I have to imagine is very difficult to draw and to write. Well, fight sequences are hard to do just in general, so... And they're done pretty dynamically, so I'm pretty impressed yeah. with artists. Yeah. Um, but I would give it a... I give it a 3.5. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I kind of was worried about it because of the last one. But I think this is a great take so far. Right on. Um, well, that, I follow suit with what you said. I mean, as far as a uh, score is concerned, yeah, three and a half is a good score for it. If the writing's pretty, I mean, like you said, the intrigue stuff's pretty cool. Like what they're building to and what they're setting up, yeah, it's like a battle tournament. Mm-hmm. And as far as like, I mean, as far as art, I like the art in both of them. Like you said, it's a little more gritty than some of the stuff that I think either one of us normally like. Yeah. But just like with Old Man Logan, like the grit is part of what the story is telling. So yeah. just like with that Hawkeye series from. Oh, 2011? Yeah, the all-new Hawkeye, I think it was. Uh, maybe. Whichever the first one was that kicked off that run of things, where he's in the building with the Tri-Suit Mafia. Yeah. Like, great. And as far as like this, I think it fits that way, too. Like you, like we were talking about, fight sequences are hard to draw regardless, but the way this plays off is not just like random whatever, it's like intentional. Yeah. There's a point where the, the guy, the eel, he kicks, does his kick and all this water flies at Danny, and it's just awesome. Yeah, they do a really good job of it. I, I'm actually very impressed with it. They actually have a moment at the end as well where Danny's faked out by the, the rat, where he sees a silhouette in a door and it's just a pile of rats that is, like, making up the body, mm-hmm. which ultimately is a, is a total fake, but... It's a good trick. Yeah, it's very well done. I, I'm, I'm impressed with it, you know? I, yeah. I, I think once once we get to the end of this, like, first five part, if... if you know, that wraps the story or whatever. I, I think we'll see that, like, this artist was the only artist I could think of that would be good for this story, so... Right. Alright. Um, let's see, let's move on to the Banana Splits and Suicide Squad. Yes. Or Suicide Squad Banana Splits. Which, if you 
If you're like, I don't know who the banana splits is, just Google images for Cartoon Network's banana splits. Yeah. I don't think it's Cartoon Network originally, but that you'll find or it. Or Hanna-Barbera. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's better. Hanna-Barbera banana splits. Uh, this one's issue also has a backup uh, Snagglepuss story, which is actually kind of deep, like the way it's written. It's it's pretty it's pretty good. Heavens um, to Megatron. Right, that's the guy. <laughs> uh, we're just going to cover the first part of this. I mean, the backup story is good, and it's definitely like a like message style. It's, it's really good, actually. Not that we tell you things that are bad, unless they're bad and we tell you they're bad. But as far as the backup story, I mean, they're hit or miss, and that's why they're backups. Oh, uh, yeah, and, and it's also very, it's only a couple pages, so yeah, let's like, focus on like this four, one. yeah. Uh, anyway, so the writer for the uh, the, the Suicide Squad split, uh, Suicide Splits, which I think is the name of the actual story, Tony Bernard's the writer, and uh, Ben Caldwell did the pencils. Caldwell's also the regular cover, so if you see the cover, that's what your interior is going to be like. Basically, when we open up, we're in the middle of uh, Hollywood, and uh, we've got a yellow SUV with a giant blow-up monkey thing on top of it, racing through the streets, and of course it's being chased by the cops because it's speeding. Please pull them over and order them out of the car. And of course, well, in the DC universe, this day and age, random things with random faces look like monsters, and so people are very tense all the time. But emerging from the car, we have the banana splits, which are comprised of a dog person, an elephant person, a monkey person, and a lion. So, uh, I mean, they all... If you were if you were encountering this yourself as a, a police officer to stop, you would definitely think it was crazy. And uh, of course, the police were smart and kind because they assume they're metahumans. And uh, of course, they inform them that they're not metahumans in their own uh, style of talk. Because depending on which character it is, they talk with a particular accent that's uh, written very heavily for the dog. Yeah, dog has a really hard accent. You know, yeah, you have to check over what he says a couple times. Yeah, of course. They're trying to explain themselves. They go, no, no, this is a mistake. Why do we do a gig? Well, the Banana Splits are musicians. Uh, they play uh, bubblegum pop music, which they refer to several times in here. And uh, so Dog goes to get his uh, driver's license to explain who they are. And, of course, the police obviously assume it's going to be a gun, and so they just start shooting, which leads to the uh, Suicide Squad hiding. And that leads to uh, quickly expense justice as they are hauled off to Metahuman Prison. Or Bell Rev. Uh, you know, no court dates, no nothing, whatever. Taser didn't take it away. <laughs> so the next time we, next thing we cut to is Amanda Waller, who's uh, she's talking with Flag, and uh, they have sent it to the Suicide Squad or Task Force X on a mission, and he's informing Amanda Waller that they they parachuted in, were caught off guard because the island, or the people on the island, or the group they're attacking was expecting them, and uh, they've all been split up, so they need assistance, they need backup. And, of course, Amanda informs him, well, if, you, if you're not getting the work done, our employers are just going to pop their heads. And they'll blow up the bombs in their heads. Which, if you're not familiar with Suicide Squad, the way they get Harley and Croc and Deadshot to all work for them is by putting explosive devices in their heads. And if they don't do the job, then they just blow up their heads. Which, uh, pretty, you know, hardcore, but kind of a normal thing now that we've dealt with Suicide Squad a lot. Normal for being a part of the Suicide Squad. Not for being a part of a regular world. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, so Amanda tells him he'll see, she'll see what she can do. And about the same time as the conversation is happening, 
the banana splits are being inducted into uh, Bell Rev as the new inmates, all in their yellow or their orange jumpsuits. And of course, you know, it's prison life, so all the prisoners taunting them. Forget the fact they're a lion, an elephant, a monkey, and then a dog. But the lion and elephant, really? I mean, what are you doing? But you know, they're fresh fish, oh, fresh fish, yeah. And they get there, and the guard tells them, lucky, it's, it's lunchtime. So, of course, they get led into the lunch room and get their food, and as they're going through the cafeteria trying to find a place to sit, a uh, werewolf-looking, well, man, werewolf, I guess like a dragon-looking guy, I'm not even sure if he's a real character, because I don't remember ever seeing him before, calls him over and tells him to sit with us. You gotta sit with your own kind. You know, in prison, you gotta pick which lines you're gonna be part of. And he tells him how there's the psychopaths, and there's the scientists, and there's the animal people, and all the different factions. you got to join your faction. Because that's how prison works. Well, anyway, while this is going on, of course, that turns into Banana Splits just trying to tell the guys, well, we're not really criminals. We're, we're, just, we're musicians. And, of course, that makes the uh, criminals laugh. They're like, you shouldn't say that. What kind of music do you do? Rock? Country? Pop? And uh, they're like, oh, no, no, bubblegum pop. Because you've never been to prison before, have you? Of course, that eventually leads to a giant brawl. Um, after all, if you pick on an elephant or try to intimidate him, it doesn't go very well. So, of course, Amanda sees this on the monitors, and since they are new inmates, she says, I'll tell you what, Flag, I've got a group, to, I've got something to send you. But as long as she sends somebody that's not on the books, no one will ask questions, because there's no paper trail for it. So she figures if she sends these guys to bail out the Suicide Squad, then the boss doesn't have to know anything's wrong, and no one blows up. So from there, this the group of the uh, banana splits are collected, and they are uh, under the impression they're getting special treatment, which leads to them being outfitted with their own clothes and then a bunch of weapons. And uh, it's pretty hardcore, actually. Like, it's super cool. Like, the, the monkey's got a double-barrel shotgun, the lion's got a machine gun, which the lion is clumsy, um, if you weren't aware of that. The dog is given tuxedo with a whole pouch of grenades, which also seems foolish, uh, but you know, it's pretty. It's pretty awesome. And then they get taken, put on a plane, and sent to go help the, the Suicide Squad with very little explanation of what's going on. Drop out of the plane, they parachute down, and of course they each encounter different members of the squad. So uh, Deadshot initially saves Dog from falling off the side of the mountain by catching his parachute as he's being blown off the mountain. The two of them start talking a little bit, and. Deadshot surprises who they sent, because of course he doesn't know, none of them know them. Monkey runs into uh, uh, Killer, Croc. Killer Croc, and Killer Croc introduces himself as being hungry. Monkey's reply to that is he thinks he has a fruit snack in his pocket. That comes back later. It's funny. Lion uh, encounters the element on the island they've been sent to destroy first, as he's trapped in a tree. And by mistake, manages to mow them down with guns. When he first sees them, though, what we're dealing with... Should we keep that a secret, what they're fighting? Mm, yeah, we, I mean, we leave out. What it is, he doesn't want to shoot initially, because of what he believes he sees. Of course, that leads to Katana finding him, and then, uh, well, you know, she does work with a sword. So, it, it's pretty, yeah, pretty detrimental. And that leads us to uh, the last two members of our party, Elephant and Harley Quinn. And, uh, of course, Harley Quinn, she's got this whole communicate with animals thing down from her own series with her whole herd of dogs and pets and birds and everything else under the sun. And so, while none, the, the elephant doesn't really talk, he makes noises. Uh, the others, I mean, they talk. Granted, I mean, dogs' talk is very 
Scooby-Doo-esque, I guess. But uh, Elephant doesn't really talk. But whenever he makes noises, Harley's like, oh yeah, I totally, I totally understand. Kind of like the Chewbacca Han Solo thing. Anyway, so at least the, the squad ever be meeting up together and they decide to take out whatever the problem is on the island. Um, of course, that goes about as well as expected. And uh, anything else is going to give up the ending of the book. You know, the Suicide Squad are the banana splits can promise something if they help the Suicide Squad escape. Which leads us to our real catch, because after they get done with the mission, the uh, Banana Splits want one more favor from Amanda Waller and J- Flag, And that leads you to the funniest part of the book. Because if you know the Banana Splits at all, they go a very different direction than what they normally um, portray themselves as. Which is kind of awesome. Think Cell Block 4, if you guys remember that movie. Awesome. Anyway, score-wise, I mean, I give the book a four and a half. It is fun. I, it, is it going anywhere? It's not going to go any farther. It's a one-shot, man. Like, But it's it's pretty funny. Like, Harley's drawn awesome. All the, the banana splits, surprisingly enough, are drawn really cool. Like, for being a weird, like, monkeys-type show with basically dudes in animal costumes running around, it's kind of pretty legit, actually. Super impressed with it. Um, I give it three and a half. Writing was fun. Story's fun. Uh, like I said, I mean, there's no new ground that's going to restart the universe or anything, but it was it was definitely a fun book. Um, that's all I got. I'm going to stop talking. Rob? Now, I, I don't remember if this is true or not, but I've, I'm thinking right. This was one of the first ones that they pitched, and it was such a neat idea that they decided to kind of do a lot of the crossovers because of this one. I'm not sure which one got pitched first, because I know this was one of them that, that was... Of all of the ones I did, this one's really probably the strongest. Now, I don't... I've got to read a couple... Well, I still haven't read an Adam Strange one, but Adam Strange, I understand, picks up after a story Adam Strange is involved in with Hawkman. Yeah, it was interesting. So, like, where they connect in the world... Um, That's probably the only one that actually connects, I, I would think. Yeah, I don't think any other ones connect anywhere else. But yeah, honestly, when when this came out, I, I was like, really? This is, this is what you guys are doing? But I was so surprised with how well it is done. If they, for some reason, decided they actually wanted to keep the banana splits around, I would care. So that's a pretty big win, I'd say. I, I'd give it, I'd give it a four actually, just because I, I love the, I love the look of the book. I thought this was a great crossover. It feels like a regular story. It doesn't feel like something that was just cooked up so that we could go, oh, let's throw some ham and barbaric characters in there. Yeah, surprisingly enough, it fits pretty good. Like, the way they insert the banana splits in the world surprisingly works well. I mean, yeah, we're dealing with a world where we have freaky creatures and metahumans and aliens and everything else under the sun. So, like, any comic book world. But, like, rather than being ham-fisted with it, they just sort of fit. And it's like, they fit in a funny way, which is kind of awesome. (laughs) So let's uh, move on to Sovereigns. From the uh, old Dynamite. This is the uh, zero issue of Sovereigns. Yeah. And this has a lot of different people working on it and a, a lot of little stories. So we're going to focus mostly on just the Sovereign kickoff story. Yeah, the way it's a 48 page book uh, that they put out for a dollar to demo Sovereigns and then give you a couple other pieces of other characters. And so it's more of a, I guess, like an anthology book because you have like a Dr. Solis uh, story, you have a Turok story, and you have a. Uh, what was the other one? 
Uh, Magnus. Um, Magnus. Yeah. So like, there's three different. There's four different stories, and all three of the other ones, they're all separate stories. Yeah. Granted, they're not like full length stories. It's a you know 48 page book. So, but yeah, you get four stories for the dollar, which is pretty impressive. But yeah, like Rob was saying, the Solar's book. All right, uh, not Solar. Sorry, Sovereigns. There yeah. you go. So it's it's being written by Ray Fox, and I know I'm going to say this wrong, but the art is from Johnny. This Jordan's? It's French. Um. Pronounce names.com. Desjardins. So there you go. Desjardins. That's what the internet says. Yeah. So go with that. That's as, that's as close as I think we're going to get. Yeah. And so this book actually is going to jump a little bit in time. Not as much as like the full book does, but... We actually start the story at the Bay of the Sa Safo in April of 2520. Which, yeah, if you're, when you see where they're at, I mean, it, it's 2520, and there's a lot of the names that are shortened together. Like, they're talking about the Bay of San Francisco, which becomes clear later. So when you first get introduced to it, it's like, it's slang for the city. But it sounds crazy being told it when you read it, and then you figure it out later, and you're like, "Oh, okay." They do that a couple times. Yeah, there's a couple places that are like weird, that. weird future speak for cities that are rubble. I guess. Well, I mean, this is like easily 500 years plus in yeah. the future. True. I mean, you could be listening to this even a few years, and it'll still be 500 years in the future. That's a good point. <laughs> but. um... He's basically, we're introduced to a character named Samson, and Samson's remarking about how the world has changed in the area that he's at, and talking about how, you know, like, basically the earth itself has been changed. The air is too cold, the ground is too hot, there's no birds, the plants are acting like birds, all sorts of things that don't make a whole lot of sense. And as we continue to explore his world, they do the big reveal, and we see something that is kind of devouring this planet. Um, and that's probably going to be kind of a big part of the story. Immediately from there, we jump back in time to 2020, where we're introduced to Turok, who has now like made this giant safe haven in the Lost Valley. Um, and it kind of, he's, he's already kind of a king at this point in his story. And we kind of see how the world has grown up around him and, and are introduced in part to characters that are going to play a bigger role, like Dr. Solas and uh, Magnus the Robot Fighter and a couple other things. And we kind of find out his own personal feel, fears, which is that he's having these dreams of some kind of conqueror that's coming, and everyone kind of wants to remind him that, like, oh, no, these are just dreams. You know, you've already won the day. We don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. Right, but you can have nightmares where, like, you'll wake up screaming. Yeah. And, like, his, his assistant guy... It, Constantly is reminding him, oh, no, no, great king. Dreams and what's real are two different things. Which, of course, right in the middle of this whole celebration thing, the sky starts thundering up and this cloud opens up and, you know, we start seeing things aren't right. And he's like, to battle! And he gets on his freaking Velociraptor steed and, like, takes off. Which is awesome looking. <laughs> yeah. And so badass. Like, his people are all like, no, no, we'll check it out for you, King. And he's like, you can ride, but you have to ride behind me. 
because I'm Turok and I'm gonna go fight the darkness. Which is kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of where we end. We basically see whatever this darkness that Samson sees in 2050, or 2520, 2520, makes its first appearance in this 2020 era after a time where the world's already been falling apart. Um, there is one more kicker at the end of this, and I, I think probably because this is a zero issue and it's kicking off a bunch of other things, we can kind of throw this in there, and I, I don't think it'll be too much of a, a letdown which is that Samson finds a ring, and it has all of these different golden keys on it that have different symbols and shapes. Now, they do allude to some of these keys in some of the other stories. The other end is that these guys were all originally golden key properties. So they're kind of throwing in the golden key uh, company as, as a story element. Right, we're connecting them to the, the origin company for these characters. And a few of them have jumped to between different companies. I mean, Turok's been a couple different places. Yes. So, like, and I claimed for a while I had Turok, too. Mm-hmm. Granted, they didn't own but, Turok, but, but yeah. But start with Golden Key. Yeah, Golden Key's where they first came from. So the original place these characters' origins from, like Magnus and Dr. Solar and Samson, they all came from Golden Key, which... Is cool because it's like a throwback to early days of books, man. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's kind of neat that they that they decide to do that, and it's going to play some kind of role in the story. Um, honestly, it's like a kickoff book. I, I thought it was pretty good. I'd probably give it a three. I like how the stories work together. My, I we discussed this a little bit. My my concern is that if you don't know who these characters are, it might not matter as much to you. And kind of like we've been in the comic game for a while, so you know we understand the importance of mentioning this character or that name or the changes in this character's look or this character's powers or whatnot. And so, like, they have more gravity with us than maybe somebody who hasn't read anything from them before. But as a kickoff book series, I, I think this is actually pretty strong. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see what this darkness is that can change the world in 500 years. Well, not just that, but, like, apparently is in both time frames at the same time, which I guess makes sense just like anything else, but it seems to be playing between the two spots identically, which is crazy. Well, the other end is we take for granted, the, or at least I did, that 2520 and 2020 is the same planet, or the same Earth, even. I mean, these golden keys could very well be keys to reality. That's true. More than just keys to, you know, whatever. Where they are. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Um, you know, I, I, I give it a, man, score-wise, I, I, I give it a four. Like, the art is pretty, is really good, actually, on the yeah. Sovereign's part. And I, I'll give you, the art in the other three stories is good, too. Um, different styles entirely. But the, the main storyline, which is the one we're talking about, really good. I, I like the, man, the the Robot Fighter story. It's very different from anything else we did with the Robot Fighter. I know we didn't talk about that one. But if you know the Robot Fighter at all, this is a very different take on the Robot Fighter. It is. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty... I dug that a lot, actually. Which is probably why I'm scoring it higher, because of the story we didn't even tell you about. <laughs> take that, listeners, I guess. I don't know why I punish everyone. But yeah, the idea of the Golden Keys, yeah, like Rob said, I mean, if you've never read anything with them or not, then maybe it doesn't matter. 
to you. Which, I mean, whatever. As far as a place to start, though, I mean, it's interesting enough because you definitely see parallel worlds, so if you like post-apocalyptic stuff with matching timelines and possibly magical elements, then you're good, because, like, the keys, the symbols on them appear to be connected to the different characters. And if that's the case, and maybe we're dealing with a whole bunch of different realities, yeah. which, that could be really cool, especially if they're all fighting the same thing. <laughs> and um, one one more thing just to metagate, I guess, um... There is actually this big interview in the back of it that I read that uh, one, one of the things that really made me happy about it is that Ray Fox talks about not just having people come to him and being like, oh, hey, I want you to do this story because I have this idea or we have these properties, let's just mash them together and make something. He kind of came at it with this idea that these were characters that he loved, that he grew up with, and he wants to bring them out and highlight them and make them as much like in their prime as he can. So these characters are not just there because, oh, we want to have a name drop. They're actually there because he wanted them to have an, an intrinsic part of the story. And so it's a kind of interesting interview in the back just to kind of get the mindset of the people working on this book and kind of what their goal is. So I, I didn't read any of that stuff because it's letter column stuff and I'm like... <laughs> I don't read things with text. No, it's got to be with pictures. It's fine. Normally, I wouldn't have done that either. I just kind of... I jumped in the chat. No, that's good. That's good. Okay, so let's uh, move on to Rogue One. You say, oh, pff, I saw that movie. That's true. That's true. That's you true. you are right. Good job. I I, I was going to say... Um, which, luckily, you, you did it for me, but... It, instead of this being like Force Awakens... What I like about this already is that it gives us more. It doesn't just do the comic, or it doesn't just do the film in comic form. It, yeah, it's not a straight, I mean, it's an adaption, but it's not. It's not a straight adaption. Yeah. That, that was what was so disappointing to me about Force Awakens, is that there was nothing else. It was totally just the movie with no extra content at all. And I expected at least, like, thought bubble content, but there wasn't even, there wasn't even that. <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It's just, it's The Force Awakened. Yeah. I, as a comic. Right. Which, you know, I we, guess I should have expected. Well, considering the name of the book. But I, I expected I expected more, and so that's why I'm, I'm happier with, with this. Anyways, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, but he's right. Generally, we don't do movie adaptions, and we don't do TV stuff unless it's like a new story. Simply because if it's a movie adaption, yeah, you saw the movie. So, yeah, what are you doing? Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't buy the books, because you got to buy the books. People bought them, so you can buy them. You buy the books. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I... That's, okay, no, enough, enough of that. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so uh, writers, Jody Hauser, which uh, I enjoy and talk about a lot in the show, I feel like, because I feel like I say her name all the time. Uh, she's writing Mother Panic, uh, wrote Faith, uh, some web stuff she did before. We have at least one interview, no, two interviews? No, one interview with her, I guess. Um, so if you listen to the previous episode, you've heard, heard, you've heard from her regarding, uh, Mother Panic, I guess. So that'd be prior to this. But yeah, Jody, good writer, digger. Uh, artist is, uh, Emilio, which I don't think is the right way you're supposed to say that. No? Nothing? I don't know. Okay, it's Emilio. Uh, Emilio Leso, um, is the artist on the book. I don't mean to make fun, it's not right. There's a thing with Emilio Gonzalez, and there's a whole bunch of comedy skits where they're like, Emilio! No, you don't remember that? 
No. <sighs> Clearly, I'm sure. I'm sure it happened. Yeah, I just yeah, don't. It, was, it was a thing. Okay, so let's move on to the book with my rather than my nonsense. Take that world. God forbid anybody listens to this and causes problems. So uh, when we first open up, the first page is actually get greeted as like a dossier page, and so it gives us the name of our players, which, I mean, if you never saw the movie, this definitely would help. But, like, gives us a little bit of breakdown, tells us what's supposed to be happening, and where these people are going, and why they're where they're at. And then we kick forward into the book, which opens up very much like the movie. We start out in the past, and we're dealing with Jane when she was a child, and her father being taken by the Empire to build a death weapon. And, of course, Mom getting killed. Uh, we fast forward past that a little bit. Of course, there's a cool gun battle thing that happens. We skip from there to what they call now. So, timeline-wise, it's supposed to be the present. And we wind up dealing with Jane's father and uh, Bodie. And the two of them are talking out on a platform, which I don't entirely remember this happening in the movie. I don't think it did. I mean, they're, they're, they, re- they reference it, mm-hmm. but this particular conversation that happens between the two of them doesn't happen in the movie. Yeah, I don't think uh, so. For those of you who don't know who Bodie was, Bodie was the pilot, or the cargo pilot, that flips sides in the movie. So deal with the goggles that turns out to be kind of a badass by the end of it. We fast forward from that conversation to join Jane, who's in the process of being, or current adult age, uh, in the process of being put into a cell on a on a, the Wobian prison planet. Uh, it's an Imperial labor camp. Which is uh, straight from the movie. Uh, but she gets put into her cell, and uh, there's a conversation that takes place between her and her cellmate, also not in the movie. You say, so what? They're just little conversations. It's little conversations that are bigger pieces, people. And that's why this is not a copy of the movie. I'll give you, things are still happening from the movie, but it's not the same. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I liked about it. Right. Was, was these little conversations that weren't in the film. Exactly. So we jump from there to join again with Bodie, and he's uh, in the process of trying to find Saul Guerrera. And, of course, you know, that's per, car- per-, per the movie. Uh, but we meet a different lead member that collects him rather than the guy we meet in the movie, who's a little more Bill Fortuny, which I thought was pretty hilarious because they're completely different. Mm. But awesome. I mean, he's definitely Bill Fortuna. Yeah. Not the, uh, like, squid face guy. Yeah, I'm kind of. I, I think we might see him. Next next episode? We might. Yeah. We might. But where we where we first meet that guy, I don't remember that guy being in there at all. Uh, he, if he is, he's back then. Yeah. So we're going to cutting from there to join Cassian um, in progress uh, at the trading post, which uh, when we first meet him here, he's in full Imperial uniform, which I thought was pretty cool because he's basically blending in with the, all these Imperials around. And then he goes from there to shrug off the uniform into his normal gear to meet his contact. Which in the movie, we know the contact meets a bad end after he collects information from him. So that pretty much plays out like normal. Mm-hmm. Not any different, really. Uh, then we have some stuff with Urso, and of course they escape from the uh, prison transplant. And we get introduced to K2, and of course he lays a smack down on Urso to rescue her, which is hilarious, even in the book. Uh, from there, of course, we fast forward again, uh, joining Von Mothma and going over how they want to use her for what they want to use her for, and, oh, we're going to get you to get Saul Guerrero out, and, you know, we're going to contact him and find what we need to find and find your dad, and, of course, we know Cassian's given a mission to kill the father, of course. Um, oh, we see where she got the gun from. 
Which you, it might have been in the movie, and I never noticed, but I kind of don't think so. In my head, I don't remember that. Uh, but yeah, we definitely have the gun discussion in the, in the cockpit, of course. And that leads to a little more Imperial bickering, which, if you know the movie, you already know where the book's going to wind up going. We get to the end, we get introduced to the monks, and that's awesome, because they look badass. Well, yeah, it, it tied in that they that they were aware before she landed that, that something was going to happen. So it kind of sells more the idea of what force powers they had. But uh, there's also another really cool conversation in there with Mon Mothma and Bail Antilles. Yeah. Um, then actually, like, it, it, um, it foreshadows elements in the third act where the rebellion likes to be the rebellion, but it doesn't really want to act yet. Right. And I thought that was a cool, I thought that was a cool element. Oh, it definitely is. Like, storyline-wise, I mean, yeah, if you've seen the movie, you know where the story's going, but all these other little pieces that are in there really play out pretty awesome, actually. So it's like bonus pieces. That guy's with the DVD drops or the Blu-ray drops, maybe there's pieces in the Blu-ray for it, but nevertheless, in an adaption, the fact that it has all these extra little pieces is kind of awesome, and they fit in pretty well whether they were meant to be there or not. Um, Score-wise, I mean, I I give it a a three and a half. I mean, it's entertaining. It was fun to read. I mean... As far as stories are concerned, if you watch Star Wars once, does it mean you don't want to watch it again? The right answer is no. That's the right answer. If you answer it at home, well, yeah, I saw it once. Well, for you, that's the wrong answer. The right answer is yes, you want to watch it again. Because that, that's how it works. You see it at least twice. At least twice. Yeah. Um, Rob, score for the book? Um, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go back to the old days of the podcast. And so I'm going to give it a four. But not because of the merits of this book. I'm going to give it to you for because they didn't release it before the movie came out in theaters. Oh, hey! That's a um, win! Yeah, because that was a freaking serious issue with some of the prequel stuff. Where any excitement that you could have had would have been ruined. Because right before the movie came out, here was episode three. Here's the entire book telling you the entire movie. Yeah. So good job, good good work, guys. Um, but on a serious note, a fantastic artwork, really well done. I love all the extras. It it feels really well done, and I I love that everybody looks. Yeah, the all the I characters look like. I mean, they look like the characters are supposed to be. Yeah, which sounds like a stupid thing to say. Yes, yeah, but generally speaking, adaptions don't go so great. Yeah, it's 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 tricky. When you're trying to match an actor. Or, pre- yeah, people in general. Artist. Yeah, I think that's definitely a win for this one. Heck yeah. Excited to see the second issue. Yes! Yeah, I, honestly, I'd like to see what what extras like, yeah, could be in there. Man, it, it's kind of nice to have. Even if issue one's the only one that has other little random pieces, still a win compared to other, trans- other adaptions, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. No, I agree. Okay, well, uh, well, now after shining that book's front end. Um, Rob, you want to tell me a story about how Jordan and Green Lantern? Yeah. Preferably issue number 17. I will. It, it's going to be it's gonna be awesome. Uh, we got Robert Venditti doing the writing for it, and the artist is Ethan Van Skyver. Skyver. Heck yeah. Awesome. Yes. Um, and actually, like, the issue previous to this, 16, was out of control, had a lot of crazy things going on. Uh, we saw the 
yellow lantern or the the Sinestro Corp basically have mass imprisonments and a really incredible beatdown between Guy Gardner and Arkillo, which was awesome. But we're actually focusing on on the issue after that. The issue following the beatdown? Yes. Yeah, that's true. We're going to actually have some really good stuff. Um, one of the big things for it, of course, is that Guy Gardner is recovering. And now we're actually seeing... It's kind of neat that we have this, because Guy and Arkillo kind of had a lot of emotions in that beatdown. And it actually kind of led to Guy and Kilowog kind of... Or Arkillo having kind of a, a relationship now. Like a and mutual so, respect kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have to see how that's going to work when Arkillo comes to. Right. That was a that was a heck of a beat down. Um, and we're of course we're also dealing with the the idea now that the Sinestro Corp has been defeated. And that was one of the big elements of why Guy had to go out and and fight Arkillo to begin with was to make sure that this was it. That there wasn't going to be like a crazy uprising later on. Now at one point if you if you've been reading Green Lantern then you you're aware of this, but if you haven't, Arkillo at one point tried to take over the core and in Sinestro's absence, it basically happened. Then eventually, Sinestro showed back up and, you know, kind of did the same thing and took back over. But yeah, so Quill the Uprising by stopping before it happened is kind of what was going on. What we're kind of dealing with after this point is where Hal and where Kyle fit into all this. Um, Hal Jordan has had several run-ins with the Corp being in and out. And honestly, like he kind of brought the Corp back in this whole run. Um, but his big thing was he was actually stepping away and having John Stewart taking over as the the head Green Lantern. Um, and we have this whole conversation between Kyle and Hal, and it's basically trying to figure out where Kyle fits. And one of the things that comes out of it is that Ganthet and Sadie, the, like, last of the Guardians now, have this idea in their head that if Kyle could relight the torch for the for the Green Lanterns, if he could bring back all of the Green Lanterns that had died from Parallax in Hal Jordan's form or, you know, these other circumstances, that maybe he could do this again. Maybe he could relight the light for Blue Lanterns. And they kind of trick him into doing it, it seems. Well, at least trying, yeah. Um... Which ultimately Kyle Kyle gives it a shot, and we find out some interesting things from that. One of the big things is that something or someone is standing in the way of even the power of the White Ring to to rekindle life on the, with the Green Lan or at the Blue Lanterns, and it has a big effect on Kyle in the end. There's there's a lot of like little gimme's in here, and I don't know what I should and shouldn't say for this issue, but I, th I think it'll probably be good to, to give away even even maybe a big one here, which is that, ultimately, Kyle's white ring was never truly a white lantern ring. It was a combination of all the color spectrum's rings fused into one. Right, which if you read any of the Guardian, or New Guardians, you should know that. So mm -hmm. that's not... That's not a big thing. When he used all the power that he had in the White Lantern, it actually causes those rings to become unfused. And each of the Lantern Corps rings 
then begin to search for a new sentient life and take off, with the Green Ring finding its master again, leaving Kyle to become well, the Green Lantern that, he's, that he should have always been. The neat thing that this book doesn't talk about, and there actually there were some other catches in there when he used those rings, and possibly the person who's stopping him, we see it reflect in different places on different DC heroes. So probably there's going to be a rebirth connection to whoever stopped Kyle from doing this. Probably. But one of the things they don't talk about in here that, that excites me a lot is the idea that all these rings have now found new Wilders. New Wilders. Yep. And although there's plenty of red rings and there's still Sinestro Car members out there, the idea that there's another Avarist ring, another Hope ring, and another Compassion ring pretty crazy. could be like some of the most dangerous threads that they leave kind of hanging in the story. Right. Um, but having Kyle back as, as one of the, one of the lanterns and not, you know, the white lantern that they don't know what to do with is, is, I think, a great, a great first step. And I like the idea of bringing St. Walker in and the possibility of there being a second blue lantern eventually. So, I don't know, I, I, I was very impressed with it. It was a great issue. Um, I feel like, now, if you've been listening for a while, you know that, that we've enjoyed the Green Lanterns. Oh, yeah. And I, I feel like this is a very, very good starting point for a new reader. If, if you haven't been following Green Lantern lately, you could pick up on 18, you could pick up on 17, and start going probably better on 18. But this feels like the kind of stories that were coming out when Jeff Johns was writing it, and people were really all about the Green Lantern. This feels like an appropriate use of all the different Lantern colors, and the artwork for it is fantastic. And if you're a Kyle Rayner fan, he's back and he's awesome. And he doesn't feel so ethereal. So uh, I'd give it a... I'd give it a four. I actually really, really liked it. I've been a fan of Green Lantern, though, for a while now, so... But this felt like an exciting new story arc to me. Right on. Well, I'll suit with you. Um, I, I gotta give it a four, too. I mean, Hal's always been my favorite, but it's because that's the Green Lantern I dealt with as a kid. So, I think that's normal for everybody. Depending on what time frame you come up and decides which Lantern you like the best. Yeah. And uh, as far as the second, I mean, I like I, I like all of them, really. But and Kyle, when he became the only Green Lantern, like, he covered so much ground. And the whole Ion story and all the, like, hardship he endured... Like, there, there's some really cool pieces to Kyle, and his costume was awesome when it came out. So, like, this is a throwback to that costume, which is awesome. So, as far as, like, a new page for it, I guess we'll see. But it is interesting that he's back in line with everyone else. And, like, the conversation between him and Hal, which we didn't really go over, is awesome. Yeah, like, it's it great. It's really great. So, if nothing else, it's worth it's worth the, uh, the two ninety nine for the talk between the two of them. It's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I give it a four as well. Um, like like you said, I agree. Seventeen. There's a lot of stuff in progress in seventeen, but where you pick up at, I don't feel like you'd be completely lost. I mean, yeah, if you don't know the characters at all, it, it, I would give you there's some backstory that you won't get. But as far as like stories are concerned, as long as you have an idea that they have magic rings, give them power, you're fine. Anyway, simple, just like Spider-Man getting bit by a spider. <laughs> Everybody knows this nonsense. Ah, anyway, 
Uh, so Rob, what'd you learn today? I learned that Tirak rides on a crazy velociraptor monster. And it's awesome. Heck yeah. Picture this, velociraptor for horse. Awesome. Velociraptor hog. That's a good point. Yeah. And it doesn't even start up, and it's just like, whoop, velociraptor head, it's like, scree Right <laughs> off the bat. Teeth open and everything. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> Straight up revenge the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I like in my own head cannon that, you know, he hasn't rid out the, the creature in a while, so he just hasn't fed it, so it's just ready for battle. <laughs> awesome. If Turok's leg gets in front of it, it's done. <laughs> he better be careful, then. That's true. I don't know what he's doing if he gets his leg in front of a velociraptor it's head, but It's awfully whatever. hard to, I mean, yeah, yeah no. It would not be, be some weird side saddle <laughs> trick ride nonsense. nonsense. Yeah. yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> God. Okay, what did I learn today, Rob? Uh, you learned that evidently fruit snacks get stuck in your teeth much like flesh. They do. They. I don't know if I even came back to that in that story. I completely uh, checked out of it. I totally forgot about it until things we learned. That's, yeah, that's true. Fruit snack. you got to go back to the banana splits for that, guys. Yeah. I even mentioned it was coming back and didn't even mention it. Way to go, me. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Uh, let's grab up and do some books to watch, and then uh, I'm going to call it. Uh, Rob, you got any books to watch? Um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of X-Titles coming out. So X-Men, Blue and Gold, Cable, X-Force, and X uh, Generation X. I know I was a little bit on the fence with some of these books, but I, I think they're actually... Uh, they're all going to be timeline, actually. So, um, But those are all ones I, I think to keep an eye on. I actually really have enjoyed Nova. I know we don't really talk about it a whole lot, except for the you know, Earth Mind Tentacles. It's a while. But I've enjoyed that one a lot. There's a, a brand new costume on X23, or all the all new Wolverine now. No, she's still X23. So it's X23, yeah. yeah. Um, but they just—they finally got Aqualad in Teen Titans. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's totally worth checking out. And we got Aqualad. It only took God, better part eight of five years, to ten years, no, six years of New Fifty Two, one year of ending Bright's Day. So like seven years to get yeah. him into the, the comic books. Yeah, and even then they're still like, that's fine. Just jam that triangle into the circle. <laughs> It'll be fine. Make it fit with a hammer. Yes. Perfect. But uh, Teen Titans, still still a fantastic book. Titans, I think, is way more important than people think for Rebirth. Um, gosh, the Champions has actually still been really good. It, it does have its moments where it's a little more preachy than it needs to be, but I, I think, ultimately, it's such a great title. It, it works. It's fine the way it is. So. We'll see. Right on. They had a, a pretty good thing in their last issue, in issue six, I think it is. Um, and, of course, we're going to have Secret Empire coming up here pretty soon. Yep. Which should be really, really good, and hopefully Marvel will handle it handle it well, but the stuff that they're doing right now is pretty dynamite. That's actually really impressive. Yeah, the, the Cap stories and the Thunderbolt stories have been awesome. Yeah. And, actually, I was really happy to see that Uncanny... Avengers did tie into the Captain America yep. story. Because I kind of thought, like, oh, okay, well, I guess Uncanny Avengers is just off on its own plane of existence again, but it actually did tie in really well, which is nice. That's what that's one of the things I loved Marvel for, was that everything did tie in. Yeah, for a while DC did it, too. Yes. 
which I love that they did. Um, yeah, I think it makes it too hard for everything to fit all the time. Not it is. Fit all the time. I mean, you, you have to have a lot of go back and forth between yeah. between editors. Um, but it's, it's nice when it does. Oh, yeah. It's definitely cool that, those, that they lined up, especially since so many of the same players are in those books. Yeah. You know, it was only one of them, weird, but when you're talking Red Skull, who's a big part of Uncanny Avengers, if you didn't know, yeah. and he's a big part of Captain America, if you didn't know, then having two places without any of the same stuff going on is just chaotic. Yeah. But the way they played it off, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, they made it fit real good. Which, if you haven't been checking out the last couple chapters of Uncanny Avengers, you really should, because they've it's actually done great. Yeah. great, great stuff. I mean, I understand Uncanny Avengers dropped the ball really hard in its early era, but... Yeah, the first first arc and the dead time between yeah. the second arc and the third arc. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, like, they've actually found a way to really make all that stuff work together in this Red Skull... Xavier bring Ark stuff, and it, it's it's actually really really impressive. So, if nothing else, this newest incarnation of Uncanny X, uh, Uncanny Avengers, has been really well done. Yeah, pretty interesting. Um, of course, Rebirth for me, or I'm sorry, Birthright and Rebirth, you know, they're both, they're both fantastic. Two different things, but yeah, yeah, but they're both they're both great. I <laughs> I get them mixed up their names, but I can see them in my head, so that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, since so we're going with that line of thought, I guess I can throw a Reborn at you. Mm. Reborn the Image comic, Greg Kapalua. Um, it's getting ready to wrap up, because I think it's a six, and then, I guess, done. So we are supposed to have an in double size issue, but it's Mark Millar, so that's kind of what he does. But it's been fantastic so far. Mm. Um, the art's beautiful. Uh, we're going to have uh, the Batman medal coming, which, prior to that, in the most current catalog, we have... It's called Dark Days, The Forge, which is a Batman book. Uh, it's a one-shot, and there's the reviews on... Well, not reviews, I guess. There's been a bunch of articles online that showed up saying that it, I guess, leads to Metal, which Metal is going to be the team of Scott Snyder and Greg Capalua, and, like, the two pictures out for it is basically Batman with, like, a giant axe, like Conan-style, with fire behind him. It looks awesome. How those things fit together, and I have no idea yet. But of course, the Forge isn't out for another two months, and Metal are just now dropping pictures online about it. So yeah. you follow Greg's Twitter feed, and he puts puts out pieces of pictures, and then eventually puts out the whole picture, which is awesome. But that's what he did with the Metal cover. It's it looks cool. So if you enjoyed any of the new Fifty Two Batman, well, it's the same team, so I'd assume that it would be fun to, to read. And it it could be. Really amazing. I don't really feel like they've let anybody down. I'll grant me and Snyder with my whole throwing eggs at the, or rocks the glass building. Is that how you say it? Eggs at the wall? Eggs in your pantry. I, I think there's nothing to do with eggs. I think no? I think you were saying, right, you're throwing stones in a glass house. There you go. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you. There's been rubs that I'm like, really, dude? What are you doing? But, overall, fantastic. Great writer. Um, and, of course, Greg is amazing artist, so... Yeah, I mean, he's been like that ever since he took over for uh, McFarlane. Oh, yeah, so, right. Since he replaced like, Todd. It's been a sure long time. It's been a fair minute since he replaced Todd. I thought he was a machine. Mm-hmm. His program with Todd McFarlane ability. Yes. I totally believe that for about 100 issues. Yeah. And then, like, at some point there was a con, and I'm like, oh, that's the guy that's supposed to be the guy? Wow, awesome. Hmm. Anyway, um, that's a totally different side note about <laughs> things. This whole different... T- Crazy t- nonsense t- in my head. Yeah. Me and Jesse Ventura, man. 
<sighs> um, I feel like there was something else I thought was going to be awesome, but now I don't remember what it was. Uh, this next month, we are next, no, two weeks? Two to three weeks. Batman 21, uh, so the button, finally. So that should be fantastic. And, um, we're gonna, they finish up the Bane story, um, over in the Batman. Tom King wrapped that one up. Um, awesome storyline. Couple pieces in there where I'm like, I don't know so much about Solomon Grundy. There's a point where Bane is going through the prison, uh, Arkham, and just trashing dudes. And there was a part in there where Solomon Grundy's like, oh, I'm afraid of Bane. And I'm like, I don't think that, no. But the rest of it was awesome. Um, and they're gonna be doing a 12 part for Bane. I want to say starting in, I think, June. Uh, so miniseries, but 12 parts, so better part of a year. Um, and it's supposed to be dealing with Bane outside of Gotham. Acquiring other, I guess, organizations that are going after other villains. Kind of what he was doing in the last story arc. Okay. So I think that'll be cool. Well, I guess there's going to be another round of these Hanna-Barbera... DC oh, yeah. comic comic uh, crossovers. Now whether they'll be as good as these ones, I don't know. But they're gonna they're gonna come. Well, we're, it's it's not Hanna Barbera this time around. It's gonna be Warner Brothers. Oh, that's right. So we're getting Elmer Fudd meets Batman, and like the concept for that one is pretty good actually. Like it's the way we understand it. Elmer Fudd's also a rich man, much like Bruce Wayne. Bruce tells Elmer, "Man, you need to put your money to good use, Elmer. You gotta do things in the world to fix things." And Elmer decides, well, that must mean take out Batman. How exactly that comes across in the story, don't know. But that's the concept. Uh, so, in my head it sounds awesome, but it is really freaking weird. Yeah. So I guess we'll see how those ones play out. Yeah, there's a whole batch of those the last couple episodes Ross has been all about. So. Yeah, Tasmanian Devil versus Wonder Woman. Which, yes. Which is also weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Logo goes after the, the bird. Um, oh, yeah, the Roadrunner. Well, yes. So... Which makes sense, because Lobo, and, you know, if you're going to hire somebody, and you happen to be a Wiley Coyote, and you have the option to hire Lobo, that would be a good choice. Mostly because you lose all the time, you stupid coyote. Take that. I don't know if he's in the book or not. The cover's got Lobo and the bird on it, so... I, I think the coyote's in there. He might be. I could be wrong, but I think he's there. We'll see. Anyway, um, anything else, Rob? At the top of my head, I can't... No? I don't, I don't... Yeah, it's whatever. I'm sure there's something. No. I'm missing. Black Science. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Black Science. Deadly yeah. Class. Both. Know, both of those guys. Yeah. Are... What, what about... Oh, good uh, times. Seven to, seven to Eternity. That's in that same ballpark. Oh, okay. Also fantastic. It is. Number five for that one's getting ready to come out. There's a little delay between them, and I'm not sure why that is, but... Four came out a couple months ago. Yeah, there so, was. Yeah. Kind of so five's coming out soon, folks. So I had to, mm-hmm. to get on it. Because issue one got like three prints, issue two got at least two. Yeah. I don't know about three, and I don't feel like four's done it yet, but I haven't looked recently. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, Tiki? Tiki! Tiki! Tiki. Tiki. Tiki? Something different? I, I think it is. It's a lady. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 